For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review, presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. PETA, that's People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, was in the news several times this week for exactly the reasons you might expect. Most recently in Alabama, the animal rights group demanded that an animal shelter not return a pigeon to its owner. The pigeon in question is named Bob, and he found himself in a very unfamiliar territory after losing his way on a flight in the United Kingdom. Bob was trying to make a routine journey from the Channel Islands to his home in northeast England. Instead, he turned up over 4,000 miles away in Monroe County, Alabama. And boy, are his wings tired. Owner, Alan Todd, told The Guardian that the bird may have hitched a ride on an oil tanker since he was covered in oil when he was found in the American South. Bob was discovered by a conscientious resident of Mexia, Alabama, and sent to a shelter. There, the vets tracked down Bob's owner based on the bird's distinctive leg bands. Todd has yet to see Bob in the feathers, but they've chatted several times on Skype, according to The Guardian. Homing pigeons have a legendary and still mysterious ability to find their way home. They can be driven around in circles in a dark box or shipped to the other side of a country and still figure out how to get back to their nests. Scientists still aren't sure how they do it, or, in Bob's case, how that amazing GPS system goes haywire. Anyway, when the local Alabama PETA chapter heard about Bob's plight, they sprang into action faster than an outdoor house cat because Todd had, quote, cruelly subjected Bob to a pigeon race. PETA demanded that the shelter refuse to send Bob back to the only home he's ever known. They call pigeon races, quote, graveyard races, and have published a video titled The Deadly World of Pigeon Racing Exposed. This video has over 129,000 views since it was published in 2013, which tells you how much even PETA members seem to care about pigeons. 
Whatever goes on in the sinister world of underground pigeon racing, the Alabama shelter isn't buying what PETA is selling. Trisha Davis, who works at the shelter, told AL.com that Bob responds to Todd's voice on the phone. She said that once Todd raises the money to come to America, they'll happily reunite the lovebirds. In other PETA news, a provocative artist in Germany has set up an exhibit featuring the head of a dead cow and thousands of flies trapped in a glass enclosure. PETA argued that the flies are covered under Germany's Animal Welfare Act, which bans killing animals without a proper reason. The city complied with PETA's request and asked the museum to take the exhibit down. On the opinion side of things, I think it would be really cool to be able to watch decomposition at work minus the stink. In the long run, people could even get more of an appreciation for flies at the expense of a few dead ones. Bring that out-of-doors education indoors, so to speak. This week, we've got bears, salmon, and access, but first I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week is brought to you by Steel USA, makers of the world's most powerful chainsaws. I recently used a combo of steel equipment while helping to roast a feral sheep asado style in Hawaii. I cut wood into shape for the fire using a gas saw, then I used a battery-operated leaf blower to get that fire ripping hot. We found that you had to get a little moisture out of the coal wood before you could get to cooking. Also, side note, the battery-operated blower is a great way to cool yourself or friends down on a hot Hawaiian day. In fact, if I were in a more touristed spot, I feel like I could have sold my leaf blower services to sweaty folks headed to dinner. Don't worry, I'm not going to mention the obvious joke here. I'm currently reporting to you from the First Light headquarters in Haley, Idaho, the brand new open to the public storefront. It will, you know, will be open as soon as you hear this. So come on over, check it out. You'll get a look at tons of new gear and be able to fill in any gaps in your kit for the next hunting trip. Moving on to the Grizzly Desk. On July 6th of last year, a California woman was killed by a grizzly bear after it dragged her out of her tent and broke her neck. In July of this year, the Interagency Grizzly Bear Committee released its final report on the incident. They concluded that the woman was the victim of a, quote, predatory attack by a habituated or food-conditioned bear. While some of the details will never be known for sure, the tragic report contains important lessons for anyone who wants to spend time in grizz country. Leah Davis Loken, a 65-year-old woman from Chico, California, was taking a multi-day bicycle trip through Montana when she stopped at a campground located behind the museum in Ovando, Montana. Her sister and their friend were staying at a hotel, but Loken decided to sleep in her tent. On the night of July 6th, she was woken up by a grizzly bear sniffing around her campsite. She shouted. She woke up the couple sleeping at the site next to her. They scared off the bear together, and Loken decided to remove packaged snack foods and a large bag of lentils from her tent. Fun side fact for you, 90% of all lentils in the U.S. are grown within a 90-mile radius of Moscow, Idaho, and Pullman, Washington, in an area called the Palouse. The couple asked whether Loken wanted to sleep in the hotel, but she declined. The bear returned later that night. Investigators aren't sure what caused the bear to attack. The food had been removed from her tent, but she still had her toiletry bags, which had previously stored some berries. They think the grizz probably smelled the berries and may have been triggered by movement, which, you know, maybe, sure. I think the point here is that the bear was habituated enough to spend a lot of time in, for this area anyway, a highly densely populated area. Okay, it's a rural Montana town. 
but this is the epicenter of town. The bear ripped open her tent and dragged her about eight feet. She was still partially wrapped in her sleeping bag, and the bear used its front paws to slam her into the ground. The medical examiner concluded that Loken's death was caused by multiple blunt force injuries of the head, torso, and right upper extremity. The neck had been broken and the spinal cord severed, which meant death was instantaneous. Investigators found a can of bear spray that had been fully deployed underneath what was left of Loken's tent. They have no way of knowing how or when the spray was delivered or if the bear spray actually hit the bear. We do know that bear spray has effectively stopped many documented attacks. In a compiled 20-year study titled Efficacy of Bear Deterrent Spray in Alaska, published in the Journal of Wildlife Management, spray was found to be over 90% effective. Again, that doesn't have much to do with this particular situation, as it would have been very difficult to aim and properly deploy while inside of a tent under extreme circumstances. After an attack like this, Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks is required to find the bear and kill it. It's clearly not afraid of humans, and the fact that it returned to the same campsite twice means it won't be deterred by the usual methods. Officials set out traps and searched the area for three days until they heard about a grizzly that had destroyed a chicken coop about four miles west of the attack. Agents set up near the chicken coop on July 9th and killed the grizzly when it returned. DNA evidence confirmed it was the same bear that had attacked Loken and was described as a young adult male weighing about 400 pounds. A tragedy like this one is a sobering reminder that even in residential and urban areas, we can't let our guard down. Grizzlies are expanding their territory and conflicts are becoming more common. When you're camping, your food preparation area should be more than 100 feet from your tent. All food or anything you think could smell like food should be locked in your car or hung at least 10 feet in the air. If a grizzly comes around, don't return to your tent that night, sleep in your truck, and think about moving sites the next day. Hunting season is just around the corner, and camping season is in full swing. Before starting your next adventure, brush up on bear safety techniques and make sure your bear spray hasn't expired. You can't prepare for every scenario, but you can give yourself a fighting chance if you find yourself face-to-face with America's largest predator. Now, if this story sounds really familiar, it's because we covered this one when it first came out, but it's worth bringing up again. This cyclist, in my opinion, was not being overly careless when he considered the fact that she was camping amongst people in the middle of a small town. The famous Trixie's Bar and its late-night parking lot crowd can be heard on summer nights from the scene of the attack. I personally would not have been too concerned or cautious if I were in Loken's bike shoes, which is, again, why the story is worth bringing up. All of western Montana is grizz country, and we need to be reminded of that. There's more people in the woods, more people leaving food around. The odds of bears becoming more habituated and more bold around people keep going up. Be careful out there. It's up to you to leave your campsites clean. Don't let bears think people are the source of food. Another fun fact for you, the museum Loken was camped next to is called the Brand Bar Museum. However, when it was established in 1897 by Henry Dixon and Charlie Young, they called it the Bucket of Blood. Moving on to the anti-hunter desk. This should go without saying, but bear spray should be used on bears, not people. One Vermont woman was apparently confused on this point when she decided to spray three bear hunters who had the audacity to drive down a road with hound dogs in their truck. 61-year-old Lisa Nanny, or Liza Nanny, 
has been cited by Vermont game wardens for interfering with a hunter, simple assault, and disorderly conduct. She allegedly stood in the road as a bear hunter named Butch Spear, his friend, and his friend's son were driving to a location they planned to release their dogs. They hadn't stopped the truck or released any dogs, and Spear says he's never met Nanny before. But she knew who he was. She refused to move after Spear asked her to let them pass and allegedly cursed them out and said, quote, a bunch of other things, according to Spear. The conversation escalated until Nanny took out a can of bear spray and sprayed all three occupants of the truck, one of whom was a minor. Spear drove away at that point, and the trio called Vermont State Police when they returned to cell service. Multiple people recorded video of the incident, and after reviewing it, game wardens decided to cite Nanny and not Spear or his friends. If the name Butch Spear rings a bell, it's because he's been in the middle of another viral bear hunting conflict. In 2021, a popular YouTuber named Morgan Gold posted a viral video of Spear and his dogs treeing a black bear. They didn't kill the bear because Gold asked them to leave his property. But Spear started receiving hate mail not long after. He hasn't backed down from his defense of bear hunting with hounds, which is probably why Nanny targeted him. Vermont's anti-bear hunting Ladies Coffee Club is incredibly active. In 2021, two other women in the same area were found guilty of hunter harassment after deflating the tires of a bear hunter's truck and releasing a German shepherd that attacked and severely injured a leashed bear hound. The women were fined a paltry $262 apiece for their crimes, which unsurprisingly wasn't enough to dissuade Nanny from executing her attack on Spear. Now I gotta state the obvious here, the law is not going to fix public opinion for any type of hunting. That will always hang on the shoulders of hunters. It's a big job, and it doesn't sound fair. After all, there's plenty of things that are other people's activities that I don't really approve of or see the point of, but I'm not going to force them to defend it or threaten to take those activities away. Again, there's an opportunity to be proactive here. You're not always going to connect with people that don't like you from the get-go, but you'll never know unless you try. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. 
Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. You've heard that name before because I've talked about them here on this podcast. They're on a mission to balance Axis deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. Now, it's wild Axis deer, which is an invasive species, but this operation is monitored and observed by the USDA, and they can commercially sell Axis deer. Last time I went out to uh, Maui to hunt Axis, I did not kill one, which is where Maui Nui Venison would come in very handy for folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful and still want to have something in the freezer or uh, handy in the form of a snack stick that is as close to getting your own as you can get, which is what Maui Nui Venison is. You can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I, Venison.com, and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. Moving north of the border to another bear controversy, British Columbia imposed a bear hunting ban covering more than 8,000 square kilometers that's about 3,000 square miles to us Yankees, to protect the spirit bears concentrated in that area. These spirit bears are a cream-colored subspecies of black bear that live only in British Columbia. They're sacred to the First Nations tribes in the area, and it is already illegal to hunt them, but this latest ban prohibits all black bear hunting in the region to protect the bears carrying the recessive gene that causes the unique coloring. And speaking of hunting bans, Federal officials in the United States have closed 1.8 million acres of Alaska's Brooks Range to doll sheep hunting. The Federal Subsistence Board voted unanimously to close Unit 24A and 26B west of Sagarveranictok River. Uh, I remember to write in at ASKCAL, that's askaltimeteor.com, to correct my pronunciation, Sagarveranictok. All users, including subsistence hunters, will be prohibited from taking doll sheep in these areas for the 2022 through 2024 wildlife regulatory cycle. The subsistence board justified the move as a way to protect declining sheep populations. However, the Alaska Department of Fish and Game opposed the proposal. They argued in a written statement that will not result in a sheep population response because most of the sheep population range is outside the proposed closure area. While they agree that sheep abundance in the central and eastern Brooks Range has declined in recent years, they say it's due to weather, not hunter harvest. They also point out that the population still provides a harvestable surplus, so there's no reason to ban hunting altogether. They estimate that the central Brooks and eastern Brooks Range sheep population is likely between 10,000 and 20,000 sheep. They conclude, quote, the central Brooks and eastern Brooks Range sheep population declined due to weather, not harvest. Sheep population fluctuations of varying magnitudes and causes are not unprecedented in Alaska, and those populations have recovered. If you are a hunter or an outfitter up in this area, please write in and let us know your thoughts on the situation. We've been hearing lots of stories over the years of declining sheep populations in this area, and this is not the first time reduced hunting or even a hunting ban has been suggested. So if it's good or bad, please write in. Let us know your thoughts. Moving on to the land access desk. Lots of great land access stories for you today from Montana, Washington, Texas, and more. In Montana, Pheasants Forever just secured a 13,000-acre parcel to open upland bird and big game hunting for the 2022 through 23 season. 
The organization partnered with Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks, the Bureau of Land Management, and a private landowner to secure the 20-square-mile property with a public access land agreement, or PALA. PALA contracts offer landowners monetary incentives of up to $15,000 for allowing public hunting and fishing access. The landowner also receives negotiated improvements that facilitate entry to inaccessible or under-accessible state and federal properties. The landowner's name has not been made public, but he said that working with Pheasants Forever and their partners was a very positive experience. He said, quote, as a landowner, I appreciate an organization rewarding us for a contribution to not only local sportsmen and women, but wildlife as well. The Conservation Reserve Program, or CRP, is off to a good start this year. According to the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation, 3.1 million acres have already been enrolled in the grassland CRP this year. That number exceeds the acres that are being pulled out of the program and is the highest amount ever accepted in grassland CRP history. That's great news for habitat, wildlife, and hunters. Up in Washington, the Bureau of Land Management plans to purchase 812 acres in the Yakima River Canyon and provide permanent recreational access to the area. The Bureau plans to use money from the Land and Water Conservation Fund to buy the Yakima Canyon Ranch from Western Rivers Conservancy. Remember, the Land and Water Conservation Fund was permanently funded by the Great American Outdoors Act, which Congress passed in 2020 with the support of hunting, fishing, and conservation groups. The $900 million per year was intended to be used on projects exactly like this, so if you asked your representative to support the Great American Outdoors Act, your hard work is paying off. The purchase will provide permanent recreational access to the private Bighorn Boating Access Site and three and a half miles of the Yakima River that flows through the ranch. The Bureau of Land Management sometimes hears about these projects from hunters and anglers, and that's exactly what South Dakotans are hoping for in their state. Over 50,000 acres of inaccessible landlocked public land were reported in South Dakota by the BLM's new online reporting system. According to a great report on South Dakota Public Radio, there are some opportunities for the Bureau of Land Management to provide access to these parcels, just like they're trying to do in Washington on the Yakima River Canyon. Texas isn't known for its large tracts of public land. It's more known for tigers. And that's not changing anytime soon. But Fort Worth, which is the third fastest growing city in the country, is taking steps to ensure its residents still have open green spaces to enjoy. According to Report Fast Company, the city has been losing 50 acres of natural open space prairie land to development every week. To slow that decline, city officials have proposed a program that allows new businesses to dedicate a portion of their tax incentives to preserving natural habitat. Most cities offer incentives for businesses to move into their area. Fort Worth officials are hoping some of those businesses will opt to dedicate a portion of those funds to preserving a section of open space equal to the company's building footprint. In a Trust for Public Land public engagement survey, 96% of Fort Worth residents said the conservation of natural areas was very important. If you're one of those residents, get on the phone with your city council members. They're scheduled to vote on this proposal in the fall. The federal government is also working to make sure city residents have access to natural spaces. The Department of Interior announced last month it plans to give $192 million to the National Park Service to create and revitalize outdoor recreation spaces in urban areas. Their grant program is also being changed to make it easier for more cities to secure more funding for these projects. 
The city size cap will be decreased from 50,000 to 30,000 residents. Cities will no longer have to be in the census-designated urban area boundary, and the maximum grant amount is increasing from $5 million to $10 million. This money will be used to build things like hiking and biking trails, playgrounds, and fishing ponds. These sorts of urban initiatives might not get your blood pumping, but they're important for building and maintaining public support for larger public land initiatives. All Americans, including city slickers, should have access to natural spaces. We just need more people who appreciate the outdoors. Moving on to the salmon desk. Conservationists have been worried about the world's salmon population for several years, and the latest numbers from the Yukon River in Alaska don't look good. Thanks to Johanna Rosenbaum for sending this one in. It's the second lowest summer chum salmon run on the Yukon, and the lowest ever Chinook salmon run. The subsistence anglers who rely on the salmon for a large part of their diet are hurting, and wildlife biologists aren't sure the Chinook can bounce back. Salmon conservation scientist Peter Wesley told public media last year's salmon run was numbered at 150,000. That was considered a really bad year. This year, there are only 40,000 Chinook in the Yukon, even after biologists implemented conservation measures. Summer chum are also struggling. Christy Gleason, the fall manager from the Alaska Department of Fish and Game, said that she expects that subsistence fishing for fall chum will remain closed on the whole Yukon for the second season in a row. Usually, these subsistence fishermen can supplement their food stores with chum when the Chinook aren't doing well. This year, they're being forced to purchase expensive store-bought food or rely on food stamps to get by. They're also contending with a larger presence of grizzly bears. At this time of year, the bears are usually getting fat on salmon, but because they can't find salmon, they're already turning to dumpster diving. Chinook salmon in Alaska have been on the decline since about 2007. With few exceptions, every run is below the long-term average, which has necessitated stricter fishing regulations. The causes of this are complicated, and scientists are still working out the details. Logging, dams, pollution, climate change, overfishing, and predation all play a role. Whatever the reason, fishermen in Alaska, subsistence, recreational, commercial, and otherwise, are hoping things turn around quickly. Moving on to the ancient turkey desk. Archaeologists working in Kentucky believe that some indigenous settlements managed their turkey and deer populations for health and longevity. One settlement, known today as Fox Farm, was occupied for a relatively long period of time from 1300 to 1650 AD, while most settlements depleted the area's natural resources and moved on. Archaeologists believe this settlement lasted for over 300 years due to their savvy wildlife management practices. An excavation of the area revealed far more male wild turkey bones than female turkey bones. This suggests that much like today's hunters, those fox farm hunters selected for males. This contrasts with other nearby sites where about the same number of male and female turkey bones were found. The tribe also appears to have managed their deer herd. Evidence shows that fox farm hunters tried to harvest deer over the age of two and a half years, which helped sustain the local population. The big question, of course, is, did they have a measurement system for spurs, beard length, and horn growth? Were they judging antlers off of growth scores, or were they taking deductions? Hopefully, these archaeologists and anthropologists stick with it until we know the answers to these hard-hitting questions. Until we get those facts, all we'll know is that these people occupied the same settlement for longer than the United States has existed. Moving on to the cat desk. 
I can't end today's episode without giving a shout out to all of you who sent me the story about the Polish Institute that declared house cats an invasive species. If you didn't see this story, a biologist at the Polish Academy of Scientists raised some hackles last month when he officially labeled cats a, quote, invasive alien species. The Academy's database of invasive species contains 1,787 animals, one of which is now the furry, sometimes lovable, Felis catus. Bravo, Poland. One country down, 192 to go. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening, and remember to write in to A-S-K-C-A-L, that's askhal at themeateater.com, and let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. Also, don't forget to check out steeldealers.com and find a local knowledgeable steel dealer near you. It's hunting season. Keep those roads and trails open with a clean, quiet, battery-operated steel chainsaw that you can tuck underneath your seat and not get gassed out when things spill everywhere. That's what I do. It keeps me happy. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order.